Welcome back to the Spirits Guy podcast. I am Rich, your guide through the intoxicating spirits world. And this is part two of my three-part Drink to Music 2 series, where I take a great album of music and pair it with the perfect spirit. And for these three episodes, what I'm focused on is bourbon and the blues. So last week, we did a whole collection of great blues albums that kind of focused on some of the legends, Muddy Waters, Albert King, Albert Collins, Steve Ray Vaughan, uh, and four great bourbons. This week, we're handing the show off to the ladies, and we're focusing on four great blues albums by female blues singers and four whiskeys that have some sort of female major involvement in either the production from a distilling point or a blending point or an ownership point. And we didn't really keep it to just bourbon. You know, we have a couple of rise. We have a premium whiskey from Uncle Nearest in there. And just a little bit higher proof point. But again, there's just a, a symbiotic relationship between blues, which is really an American style of music, and bourbon and other, you know, American whiskeys. And and that relationship is just, uh, it's just a, a perfect marriage uh, between the two. So hopefully you guys enjoyed last week's episode and you tuned in to this week's episode. And then next week when we do part three, we're going to focus on a couple of live blues albums that are just going to be great. You know, if you're getting friends together, you're sitting around the fire pit, uh, you're having a good time, kind of a little bit of uh party blues rock and we'll do four more whiskeys next week to kind of conclude this three-part series um as always thank you guys so much for for going on this journey with me and for just indulging my my passions with me uh i cannot say enough how much i appreciate it and how humbling it is when you guys you know shoot me a comment or stop by the store Tell me you listened, you liked it, it inspired you to maybe try something or, or listen to something or grab a different book. Uh, it just, it means the world to me and it's what inspires me to keep this thing going week after week after week. So as always, if you like what I'm doing here, go to the podcast page on Spotify, hit that follow button, give it a five-star review, and then share it out on your social media. And, you know, if you've got friends who are into the same thing that you're into, which is the same thing that I'm into, let them in on it. Let them know that there's something out there for them. And let's grow this family um, and keep this journey going with, you know, the more the merrier. As always, you can follow on Facebook and Instagram where I'm constantly posting not only what I'm drinking, but things that I'm reading, things that I'm listening to, talking about TV shows and movies that I'm watching. Uh, you can message me through both of those platforms as well. Now, if you've got a sample that you're curious as to my opinion, you know, you, you might want to get a, a shout out on a Tuesday night tastings. Or if there's something that I've tasted during these episodes um, that you would like to try. Again, if you're a local, you're over 21 and I have enough to share. I love sharing my stuff with people. Uh, I will do everything I can to get you a sample of whatever it is that I'm drinking. Or if you've got an idea for a show, something you'd like me to talk about, or if you just want to come here, hang out, geek out with me about books or movies or music or TV shows or whatever, and drink some cool spirits for all of that stuff, you can email me at thespiritguide89 at gmail.com. One final note, all the uh, blues albums from last week, all the blues albums that I talk about this week, and all the blues albums that I'm going to talk about on next week's episode, I have put in a playlist on Spotify. So if you look for the Spirit's Guide to the Blues, uh, you'll get all of these amazing, amazing blues albums that, you know, if you just click shuffle, it makes one hell of a playlist. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode as much as I enjoyed making it. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys soon. Cheers. All right, so here we are. We're back. This is part two 
of my three-part series combining two of my biggest passions, one being spirits, obviously, with the spirits guide. But, you know, something else that's very, very spiritual to me is, is music. And like I explained last week, you know, I have a pretty good collection of books. I have an a- even bigger collection of spirits, but I have an even bigger collection of music. And, you know, again, my original podcast idea, the first thing that I wanted to do was a podcast called Drink to Music 2. And eventually I will splinter off and, and do a completely focused music uh, and spirits podcast. But this is kind of a, I don't know, maybe a, a, a test batch. So this is part number two, where we're combining two things that we do great here in America that are, you know, American distinct products that we do great here. One is bourbon. The other is the blues. Again, they have both evolved from other parts of the world and other cultures, but through mixture and blending and, you know, people and circumstances, bourbon became an American thing and the blues became an American thing as well. Now, last week, we talked a lot about, you know, the symbiotic relationship between bourbon and the blues, you know, rooted in the South, um, kind of rooted out of necessity and, and people who lived the life. It wasn't just about skills. It was actually about living and being, you know, in the bourbon world or in the blues world. And we focused a lot on on the guys, you know, who were were, you know, great blues musicians and, you know. A lot of distilleries that, you know, were pretty male focused. And this week, I want to focus on the ladies. You know, anybody who listened to last week and was like, hey, ladies can do the blues. They absolutely can. Hey, ladies can be involved in whiskey. We talked about it a couple weeks ago when I did my books and bottles episode. You know, Fred Minnick wrote an incredible book about women in whiskey going back to medieval times and how they were the distillers and how they were the backbone of the scotch industry. Uh, and how involved in the bourbon industry, or I, I almost don't like to say bourbon industry historically, because really bourbon is only a thing from 1964 on. We were making whiskey that was sort of bourbon style, and it evolved into what we made official. Um, but really, whiskey in this country didn't start out even corn-based. It was barley-based. It was fruit-based, and you know, then it was rye-based in the Northeast before we get down to the South uh, and, and kind of got a corn-based whiskey. So with this episode, you know, I'm not going to stick strictly to bourbon. They're going to be American whiskeys because, you know, we're opening things up here a little bit more, uh, and I guess we'll, we'll see where we're going with this. So to kind of give some context here of ladies in the blues you know i mentioned in the first blues episode of you know sort of the pioneers your your robert johnson's your lead bellies uh and and you know people like that who were really the 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 dawn of blues unfortunately for me in all honesty like sometimes it's hard for me to put on old robert johnson albums or you know on Spotify, they're not really albums or, you know, sort of digital playlists at this point, as much as I do love my vinyl. But those recordings just, they don't sound, they're great sort of history lessons and they're really interesting to listen to. Uh, and I do enjoy them, but sometimes, you know, it, it, they're just not clean. And it's it's a sad sort of circumstance, uh, again, in you know the 1910 1920 some of those recording techniques weren't that great as it was but there was certainly nobody putting money into black artists of the time so as bad as the recording or as archaic as the recording techniques were you know and the capabilities were uh there was no extra effort being put into black artists uh by any means, it was it's interesting. I was just listening to another podcast and they were talking about, you know, like what really made rock and roll. Well, you know, the black artists had these sort of underfunded, I guess, for lack of a better term, recording techniques. And when the white artists came along and they started putting money into it and those albums started to sound better, um, 
they sounded a lot more rocking and that's really how rock and roll comes to be um just by making better sounding albums and then people were able to kind of copy that live and then it grew from there but a lot of those original blues recordings were just kind of acoustic and grainy sounding and they almost kind of sound like those old timey you know just yeah very old timey interesting history lessons as you know like i said but just for pure enjoyment of it that being said please do not skip out on going back and listening to and while you know kind of playing around and getting ready to do this podcast and looking at some of the original ladies of the blues uh, I came across some names that I had never heard of before, which is what I love about doing this podcast is every time, you know, I get into a subject and I think like, oh, this is going to be easy. I'll be able to to bang this out. I don't need to do a lot of research, but I'm, I'm going to do a little bit. I end up in this rabbit hole and discovering things that I didn't know were there that, you know, just stimulate me to, to want to go explore more. So I came across some names that I'm going to share because. I'm glad I found him, and you know I think everybody else should find him as well. Uh, Ma Rainey is really kind of credited with being sort of the first lady of the blues. And again, some of those recordings, you know, they sound that old timey is really the only way I know how to describe them. But I was listening to it this morning, sort of getting in the mindset to record this, and it's really, really good stuff. You know, again, the sound quality is not great, but if you listen to it for the content, kind of like this podcast, you know, it's not professionally done, but hopefully the content is there The you know, there's, there's enough substance there. Maybe the style points aren't there, but the substance is great. Um, Ma Rainey, Bessie Smith, Memphis Minnie, Mamie Smith, Big Mama Thornton. These ladies were, you know, around late 1800s, early 1900s. And they were singing the blues. Now, as music evolved, you know, and record companies started to become a thing and, and money became involved and then marketing and promotion became involved. I feel like, you know, as men, blues singers kind of came along, blues was kind of allowed to be its thing. And, you know, it merged with jazz and, and soul. Uh, and later on, it would merge with funk and rhythm and, you know, R&B. With the ladies, I think they had a, a tougher road to be, you know, the blues was kind of a guttural, sexual, primal thing. It was, you know, there's an edge and an attitude to it. And, you know, it's kind of rooted in suffering. And ladies were supposed to be the fairest sex. So, you know, you weren't getting a lot of ladies in those early days getting to sing like, I just want to make love to you or I'm a hoochie coochie man. They, you know, they were kind of put into this position to be softer and lighter. And so some of those earlier artists that were considered blues kind of come across now as, you know, almost, I'd say almost like female Frank Sinatra singing standards, uh, doing some jazz bebop stuff. But I've got to pay homage to, to at least somebody historically and the one that really nails it for me the one that i i listen to and again this is all honest and real there's so many great artists and so many great blues albums but i really want to focus on the stuff that i actually do listen to and the products that i actually do drink um and to reset the tone from last week the tone of the blues was that you know i was coming home after a good day or coming home after a bad day going out on the deck maybe having a cigar, putting on a blues album, relaxing, kind of contemplating. And again, the blues is either a good man feeling bad or a bad man feeling good. There's a, an interesting dichotomy there. This first blues album, when we get into the ladies, is not my coming home after work album. This is my Sunday brunch. Sunday is the only day that I don't really work. Uh, so I get to sleep in a little later. You know, I spend an hour making breakfast and Bloody Marys and mimosas or whatever and make this huge breakfast on Sunday morning. And it's it's my sort of time to relax. This is the album that I listen to on Sunday mornings all the time. And it's it's Etta James. Um, to me, just kind of the queen of the blues. 
you know, it's around the same time, like Dinah Washington, Billie Holiday, you know, there's some great other artists that I feel get more into like the standards or jazz or what would have been considered kind of the pop of its time. But Etta James at last is, yeah, it's the blues at its finest and just the sound of it, you know, the, the silkiness, the sultriness of it is, is just beautiful. It's perfect for a Sunday morning brunch to just put you in the right zone to start the day. Um, and the whiskey that I'm pairing it with, and again, we're going a little bit off the bourbon path here just because we're going off in, in so many other directions and we're not limiting ourselves. You know, these are still American whiskeys. They're just not, not going to be classified as bourbons. And the whiskey that I'm pairing with this is Uncle Nearest, um, owned by a female fawn weaver um, who brought back to life this the story of Uncle Nearest, um, who is Nearest Green, who was a slave who was rented to Jack Daniels and taught Jack Daniels how to make whiskey and is really responsible for Jack Daniels as we know it today. Um, and it's a story that is buried deep in history. And until Fawn Weaver kind of, I don't know how she stumbled upon it or got in touch with the family or, or how that sort of came to be, but she brought this name to the forefront, uh, educated so many of us who had never heard this story. Uh, I have friends who have been down to Jack Daniels in the last few years, and now apparently there's a display down there that recognizes and acknowledges Nearest Green. So, you know, all this is great to kind of bring to the forefront and, and educate people on, on the truth. And in the end, you know, the big deal is, like, is the juice good? I'm drinking the Uncle Nearest 1856, what they list as premium whiskey. Now, this is not a bourbon. It's a Tennessee whiskey. What's the difference? Well, Tennessee whiskeys go through what's called the Lincoln County process, which is that it's filtered through charcoal before it goes into the barrel. Actually, this isn't even listed as a Tennessee whiskey. It's just listed as premium whiskey. Um, and I, they did that intentionally, I think, because they just wanted to show that it's a, a premium whiskey. Um, I, I forget the exact story as to why it was called premium whiskey and not Tennessee. It's just, it's a great whiskey. It's a great, stylish, elegant package. And on the nose, they don't really say where it comes from, but the mash bill is 84, 8, and 8. To me, that means George Dickel. Foreshadowing, because that's going to come back around later on in this podcast. Bottled at 100 proof. So again, you can have a couple of glasses at the end of the day. Obviously, I'm not having bourbon with brunch. I'm listening to Edda during, during brunch, but maybe I'll have a bourbon during brunch why not mm. Mm. it's got that distinctive george dickel kind of spicy peanut flavor to it oily rich i love this whiskey i think it's fantastic you know and in my three-tiered rating system is it good yeah it's fantastic is it worth the money I'll be honest, a couple years ago when it came out and it was around 50 bucks, I thought like that's a little too high for what it is. But in today's economy where the price of everything has gone way up, it, the, the market has come up to meet this. So $50 doesn't seem that outrageous to me anymore. And yeah, it's worth every single penny, especially when you know the story behind it, where some of that money is going. Again, this is sourced whiskey, but they're building their own distillery. They're bringing, you know, the green family into the fold. They're involved in, in all different aspects of this whiskey. Um, so is it worth the money? Absolutely. Does the bottle start a conversation on your bar? It goddamn better well. Um, and please, if you have this bottle, know the story. Uh, and if you have friends who don't know the story, please share it. It's, it's an important story. And, you know, with our whiskey, we try not to get too political. We, we, 
as a bartender, we always, you know, no politics, no religion when drinking, you know, we don't allow those conversations on the bar. But this is, it's kind of an important topic. So, you know, if you've got this bottle on your bar and a friend comes over and says, hey, what's that? Please tell them the story, share the story. It's an important one um, for so many, so many reasons. So there it is. Ladies of the Blues, Ladies of Whiskey, first pairing, Etta James, at last. Um, and I didn't even talk about how great that album is. Um, Trust in Me, A Sunday Kind of Love. Uh, she actually does a version of I Just Want to Make Love to You, which to me is maybe the ballsiest thing uh, for a lady blues singer to do in, I think it was the 1960s when that came out. Yeah, 1966. Um, yeah. That alone, um, you know, which today we, we wouldn't even think anything of it. But if you put it in the, the context of 1966, and here is this, you know, female singer singing, I just want to make love to you. Like that is, that takes some stones uh, to me. Um, so much, much kudos there. All right. Album number two. And again, some of those old time recordings are a little tough to listen to. And blues really went off my radar for a while until we hit, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan later on sort of reignited my passion for the blues, as it did many other people. On the female side of it, the first female that really kind of ignited my passion for the blues, Susan Tedeschi. Um, just wow. I remember the first time I heard... Um, just won't burn and it hurts so bad from that first album i was like what is this this gravelly voice that you know just sounds like she could come through the your earphones and just kind of grab you by the throat and shake you like just so powerful great guitarist and the album that i chose for this that i love to listen to and i listen to all the time is susan tedeschi live from austin texas and I've said it before, when I do album reviews, I never really go to greatest hits or live albums. Um, as much as I love live albums, because to me, it's a true sort of showing of what a musician can do. Um, it's not really kind of a concept like they're not sitting down and writing it. Blues is a little different because so much of blues music is paying homage to the older blues musicians. So a lot of it is cover songs, you know. Stevie Ray Vaughan, half of his songs and half of, on all of his albums are all cover songs. Uh, and every great blues album usually is a whole bunch of covers paying homage to whether it's Lead Belly, you know, Robert Johnson, Ma Rainey, uh, all those cats. So live albums definitely qualify when we're talking about the blues as the greatest hits. But this live from Austin, Texas, it's just, it's an amazing listen. It's call it up here on my uh spotify playlist because i have a playlist if you guys are interested in all of this on spotify it's the spirits guide to the blues so if you search it on spotify you'll get all these albums in one playlist ooh, ooh, ooh. and uh just kind of scroll down the list here what a great playlist this is um you know alone wait for me uh, don't think twice. It's all right. Again, great cover. Uh, I think that was a Dylan in the garden, which was a song that Susan Tedeschi did on the Stevie Ray Vaughan tribute album after he passed away. Hurt so bad. And then the highlight of the whole album is Angel from Montgomery, which is just a beautiful, beautiful song. Uh, again, all live. Great vocals. By the way, Susan Tedeschi married to Derek Trucks, who's, you know, whose dad was in the Allman Brothers. Can you imagine just the, the musical DNA that their kids have? I mean, that's right up there with Elvis Costello and Diana Krall's kids. Like, man, just to grow up in that household. I wonder if those kids understand how good they have it. So the, the whiskey that I chose to pair with this, because again, her voice is just gritty and raw. And to me, rye whiskey is that same sort of grit. It's uh. You know, bourbon can be, you know, sweet and caramel and vanilla, but rye can be sweet, but it can be spicy uh, and it can have a little bit of an edge to it. 
And the rye that I'm pairing with Susan Tedeschi live in Austin, Texas is Widow Jane. It's a New York rye. I believe it qualifies as an empire rye at this point. Um, Aged with applewood chips. I don't actually have the bottle in front of me, but I think it's around 90 proof. And here's another one that when it launched a few years ago, I thought was way overpriced. And it came down in price as the market went up in price. So now I think it's in the right spot. This is on the shelf in my store. Uh, They have limestone water at the distillery that they use, which is really important because that's what makes Kentucky whiskey so special. Man, on the nose, this has all those rye notes that you're looking for. All those green notes, but without that MGP dill. So maybe a little grassy, a little green apple. (sighs) Yeah, even like a little kind of honeydew melon in there. But then with like some pink peppercorns on the nose. Mm. that whiskey is so good and i feel like there's a few people out there who understand how good this is and then there's a bunch of people who just you know haven't discovered it yet if you like rye man it's such a contrast from the uncle nearest too which is like this sort of dark almost brooding whiskey you know those sort of nutty caramel tones. This is such a bright, refreshing whiskey with all these like lively green flavors. You know, that little bit of spearmint, um, that sort of spearmint chocolate thing that I tend to get from a lot of rye. <clears throat> yeah, this is... Again, there are some people who know about it. Obviously, these guys have been around for a few years now. So there's definitely consumers out there who are aware of this whiskey. But for any of you who like rye but haven't gone down the Widow Jane rabbit hole yet, yeah, this is definitely a winner. That being said, like I think the decadence bottling from them is a little expensive. Uh, Their Vault series, which is, you know, a couple hundred dollars for 15-year-old whiskey. It It's not theirs, which, again, I'm fine with. Calumet whiskey is not Calumet's. They source it from somewhere else. But at over $200 for whiskey that they don't even disclose where it comes from, really, when I do a comp, like, I'm not taking any of those Widow Jane from the vaults over a Calumet 15 or a Remus Repeal Reserve, or some of those other whiskeys. All that being said, Widow Jane, just the the standard, you know, everyday on-the-shelf rise, those whiskeys are fantastic. They are priced accordingly, and they are well worth it. Is it good? Yes. Is it worth the money? Yes. Does the bottle starter conversation? I think it does because the label is, is unlike anything else. And, you know, you call it Widow Jane. And it kind of looks like what it is. It looks like, you know, something that would be called Widow Jane. The, the packaging is right in line with the name. And my goodness, I I failed to even mention the connection here. But the female connection to Widow Jane is a woman named Lisa Roper Wicker. And she is the president, head distiller, and master blender there. So, you know, you've got... Somebody who is, you know, running the company, distilling and blending the whiskey. Again, just, you know, showing some love out there that, you know, the ladies can do it just as good as the men. And like I've said before, I hate the fact that we have to point out that this is a a female thing or a male thing. But until the playing field is level, until we just acknowledge that, you know, we're people and that, you know, both sides can, can do things equally as good. You know, until that day comes, we're going to keep pointing out that, you know, the ladies do it just as good, if not better than the men sometimes uh, in in certain occasions. So I'd love to see a day when it's when it's equal and, you know, you know, just that it's the playing field is level. All right. I'm going to take a quick break. Go get some water set up for the next two whiskeys. 
But so far, so good. I think we've got two great albums to listen to. Um, and I I guess I want to point this out too. It's like, I'm an album guy. I, I don't want to come off as that, you know, get off my lawn kind of guy. But, you know, today's sort of state of music where things are singles and people put together playlists, I truly, truly do love the experience of just sitting down, putting on an album, listening to it start to finish and taking it all in and experiencing that moment. Yes, I love putting together playlists and I love things on shuffle, but there's nothing like that experience of just listening to an artist start to finish on their journey and experiencing that journey with them. So yeah, I think we've got two great albums that are just perfect to put on, let it run start to finish, no shuffle, no nothing just enjoy. We've got two great whiskeys that are a little off the beaten path that maybe people don't think of all the time. Uncle Nearest Premium Whiskey 1856, Widow Jane Rye with Apple Oak Chips. We're off to a great, great start. All right, when I come back, I got a couple more great albums, a couple more great whiskeys to share with you. Uh, talk to you in a minute. Cheers. All right, so we're back, and just to kind of recap, we're talking about two things that we do great in this country, and that is blues and, and whiskey. And again, they're, you know, they're rooted in other parts of the world and in other cultures, but when they got here, what we were able to do with them, we became kind of the best at making whiskey and and the best at making blues, you know, which would later on evolve into rock and roll, which would change the world because when rock and roll and the blues went to England, that's what resulted in us getting the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and the Who and Black Sabbath and Tom Jones. Yeah, I said it. Tom Jones. He's great. I don't give a shit what anybody says. Tom Jones is the man. He's basically developed a 60 year career on four or five songs and uh I, I think when you're born now you should know what it's not unusual is it should be just ingrained into your dna i digress away from the topic america blues whiskey you know and and again last week we were talking about you know the guys and and blues and bourbon but different perspective you know and again uh blues musicians today as much as they can channel and pay homage to the blues singers of the past, they'll never, ever walk a half an inch in the shoes of what it was like to be a black blues musician in Mississippi or Louisiana in the 1920s, um, or to be a black female in 1920s America trying to play the blues. Um, just different perspectives. So, Great blues music coming out today that pays homage to them. Uh, but when you listen to them, you know, it's rooted in that sort of struggle. And that's really the history of whiskey, too, is it's kind of rooted in that struggle of, you know, farming. And what do we do with this extra grain and, and kind of a survival thing? And, you know, there was no real glory in it, you know, in the history of America. It was just all done out of necessity in, in life and just sort of the way it was. Um, and again, just sort of different perspectives. Uh, again, I, I ramble, let's get back into, you know, what we're here to talk about, which is great music in a great bottle of whiskey to sit down, you know, whether it's, you know, on a Sunday afternoon and you're relaxing or after a long day of work, again, to reiterate, the blues is a good man feeling bad or a bad man feeling good so there's always that sort of dichotomy there and and blues can go either way and so can whiskey you know we drink whiskey when we've had a bad day to take the edge off we drink whiskey to you know celebrate a good day and and enhance that so the next album that i want to talk about in the next blues musician female blues musician uh beth hart uh what a, a voice uh, my first exposure to Beth Hart was listening to rock radio and she was a rock singer, um, had an incredible voice. So 
you know, if this podcast somehow kind of affects you and, and it actually inspires you to go out and explore the blues and you, you buy some of the earlier Beth Hart albums or well, I don't know that anybody buys albums anymore, but if you go on Spotify and you look at the older Beth Hart albums or Apple, you know, wherever you're getting your music from these days, and some of those earlier recordings, you might be like, whoa, what is this? This isn't blues. This is like hard rock. Yeah, she was a hard rock singer. Uh, had a big hit here locally, at least, with a song called Immortal. Uh, she kind of sounded like, you know, almost like Robert Plant in, in that sort of high gravelly voice, the ability to kind of scream, but scream very cleanly. And then... Years later, I was working, running a liquor store um, in uh, Sturbridge, Mass. And the guy I worked for was a huge blues fan. And he said, hey, you've got to check this out if you like the blues. And he gave me uh, this album. And I said, Beth Hart, like I know that name. And I put the album on and I went, no, this can't be the same person because this is not the same style of music uh, that I know from her. And then I, I went back and I did a little research and realized it was the same person and had the same sort of conversation with him of this is great. Uh, and if you like this, don't bother going to look for older recordings because they don't sound like this. So I don't know at what point in Beth Hart's career she kind of became more of a blues singer. But man, when she did, she stuck with it. Now, I know we're talking about Ladies and the Blues, and this is a Beth Hart album that I'm about to recommend that I love to put on and listen to. But if you put it on on Spotify and you're kind of looking through the track listings, it actually lists it as Beth Hart, Joe Bonamassa, but it's released as a Beth Hart album. Um, Joe Bonamassa, great current blues guitarist for for my money. Uh Again, I've mentioned it before. I'm going to see Buddy Guy in a few weeks. I think I paid 50 or 60 bucks for Buddy Guy, who is 85 years old, who has played with Junior Wells and B.B. King and Eric Clapton and Stevie Ray Vaughan and Muddy Waters and all the greats and is the last of the living legends of, you know, blues music in America. And by the way, it's still on top of his game. If you get a chance to go see Buddy Guy, it's probably the best show uh, you're going to see hands down, especially in a smaller venue. But I can go see Joe Bonamassa for like $250 a ticket. And, you know, he's just a guy who's a great guitar player who is doing an honest job paying homage to the greats, you know, and, and writing some great new blues songs. But he's not $250 a ticket. Good. Um, that seems a little bit pretentious and trying to cash in on something that, is not supposed to be cashed in on because the blues and bourbon are supposed to be for every day consumption uh, for the working class person, um, not for the uh, people who have a lot of money. So that being said, this is a Beth Hart album, even though the track listings list Joe Bonamassa as well. And again, nothing against his guitar playing. It's absolutely fantastic. And it works great on this album. The album is called don't explain. Now, she's got a couple of solo albums out there, but this one uh, is kind of the first one that if you're going to do a dive into Beth Hart, you've got to check it out. And the covers that she does, um, man, I mean, Don't Explain is a great song. Your Heart is as Black as Night. And then her version of I'd Rather Go Blind is just mind-blowingly good. Now, if you've got more time in your day, you know, again, I try to keep these albums that I'm, I'm recommending under an hour. So, you know, good enough time to go sit on the, the deck and have a cigar um, or just kind of reflect for 45 minutes after a day's worth of work. But if you're looking for a longer listening experience, check out Beth Hart and Joe Bonamassa uh, live in Amsterdam. It's probably an hour and a half to two hour show, but her version live of I'd Rather Go Blind, I, I've probably listened to it, you know, hundreds of times. It still gives me chills. And if you want to do a deeper dive, go on YouTube and look up Beth Hart, I'd Rather Go Blind 
when Buddy Guy gets inducted into the Kennedy Center, he gets the Kennedy Center honors. That performance, uh, if you've got a soul, if you've got any sort of heart, any sort of love for music, it will give you chills. Uh, the notes that she hits, the the just heart-wrenching performance that she gives on that song live is... Yeah, it, it sends chills through my body every time I, I hear it. It's it's just amazing. And again, maybe not the exact shoes that the person who wrote that song was walking in, but man, she takes that song, makes it her own. And if you listen to nothing else on any of these albums that I recommend, listen to that one song, Beth Hart's version of I'd Rather Go Blind. Uh it will stop you in your tracks. And the whiskey that I want to pair with this album that I'm going to sit down and have a few glasses of is going to be George Dickel. Um, George Dickel, Nicole Austin has taken George Dickel whiskey. Um, she is the general manager of, they changed the name of the distillery to Cascade Hollow, which was the original name of it. It's a Tennessee whiskey. It's a brand that gets just sorely, sorely overlooked on the shelf. For whatever reason, I don't get it. Uh, signature mash bill, 84, 8, and 8. We talked about it in the first half of the podcast. We were talking about Uncle Nearest. I'm pretty sure that this is where they're getting their juice from. So uh, maybe a little repetitive to get two bottles that are coming out of George Dickel, but definitely different flavor profiles. Uh, Nicole Austin has just turned this into a, a mantra to me and the innovations and the products that she's come out with. I can't say it enough. The, the George Dickel barrel select or batch select. I would put that up against Blanton's any day of the week and it blows it out of the water to me. Um, the 13-year bottled and bond that came out a few years ago was Whiskey of the Year with Whiskey Advocates Top 20. And then they released an 11-year bottled and bond. And then they released a 13-year, you know, the next year after that. And I would go with that 13-year bottled and bond because it's it's a flawless whiskey. It's under 50 bucks. Uh, obviously, bottled and bond. But at 13 years, you don't find any 13-year bourbons you know, for under a hundred bucks, rule of thumb is usually 10 bucks a year. So, you know, a 13 year old bourbon is usually about 130 bucks, 13 year bottled in bond under 50 on the shelf. Now, the reason I didn't go with that one is it was a limited one time release that year. So it might not be available everywhere. Uh, I know I still have some on my shelf at the time that I'm recording this. But the whiskey that I'm going with on this one is the George Dickel uh, Sour Mash Whiskey Number 8 Recipe. Uh, a little cork pop there. Maybe you heard that little pour. So it's an 80 proofer, which I know everybody kind of, oh, it's 80 proof. It's got no body. It can't be good if it's 80 proof. Really uh, get over it. Sometimes, you know, I just want the flavor of whiskey. I don't necessarily want tack on a, a buzz this is kind of the point of coming home on a wednesday night you know or, or tuesday night and you know pouring a couple of glasses of whiskey 80 proof there's nothing wrong with that to me if the flavor is there if the body is there and to just sort of reinforce that especially with the dickel whiskeys uh there was an orphan barrel release i think it was last year uh, Copper Tongue, I think, was the Orphan Barrel release. And everybody was freaking out. It was like 88.7 proof. It was some weird number proof, but it was under 90 proof. And I know a lot of my customers like, oh, I don't know. It's a lot of money for something that's that low in proof. And then I had one customer who took a flyer on it, uh, my friend Jeremy. And he came back and he said, holy shit. I didn't think you could get that much flavor in that low of a proof point. So it shows that George Dickel, you know, they're making great whiskey. And even in a lower proof point, you can get a ton of flavor. And I'm not going too deep of a dive on this stuff, but 
I know they're single story rick houses. So their stuff is pretty consistent. There's no top floor, no bottom floor. There's obviously no barrel rotation. But man, this whiskey on the nose, again, affordable. You can get a handle of this for like 30 something dollars, which is not a bad thing to do if you're, you know, you got a bunch of people coming over on a Sunday afternoon cookout. You want to do some bourbon and lemonades, get a handle of some good quality whiskey for 30 something dollars. Winner. Yeah. And when you talk about like classic looking bottles, to me, this is a stylish bottle. Like Corey and I always talk about, you know, if I walked into a saloon in Tennessee, like this is the the look of the bottle I would expect to find on that bar. Again, 80 proof. I got no issue with that. Everything's right there in the front of the label, distilled and charcoal mellowed at Cascade Hollow. Uh, again, that Lincoln County process where they're filtering the distillate through charcoal before it goes into the barrel. This could be called bourbon, but because it goes through that Lincoln County process, it can also be called Tennessee. And, you know, those folks in Tennessee want to take a little pride in their whiskey as well. All right, let's take a taste. Mm. Yeah. That is delicious. And actually, at that lower proof point, some of that peanutty flavor is a little softer. It's just got a great whiskey flavor. I, I don't know how else to describe it. A little bit of oakiness. It's a little bit of caramel. You know, it's what I want if I'm not trying to be pretentious and over the top and look for unicorns and be fancy if i just want to drink whiskey and i think so many times we get away from that because we're chasing like every bottle has to be special you know it has to be a higher proof point it has to be something unique like let's not not forget like we drank whiskey because it was affordable it was available it was delicious we just drank whiskey because we liked drinking whiskey and it didn't have to be a unicorn that not everybody could get. I love this. It's available all day. You know, in, in some ways, I hope that Fred Minnick never discovers it and names it a great whiskey because then it'll vanish off the shelf. But don't sleep on this whiskey. It's it's delicious. It's a great everyday pour. <sighs> Next glass up. And next album up, and this one I'm really, really excited about because it's somebody that I hadn't heard of or like, you know, when you, you listen to a lot of music like I do, you you kind of come across names and you become aware of names, but you don't really take the time to to listen. And then, you know, I, I went to go see Buddy Guy, again, my favorite blues musician to to see live and I went to see him last year Hampton Beach Casino Ballroom which is just maybe the greatest place to see a show um, for the history the acoustics the proximity to the beach which is fucking right across the street um, you can go up there you can get the tickets tickets for cheap get a hotel room within walking distance spend the day in the beach go to a show at night you when you walk out of the show you're back on the beach and the opening act, I mean, I've seen Buddy Guy with Quinn Sullivan, who's great. I've seen Buddy Guy with Johnny Lang, which was fantastic. I've seen Buddy Guy as part of a Jimi Hendrix tribute show with Steve Ray Vaughan's backing band and, you know, just Eric Gales and Doyle Bramble and so many other great guitars. And then when I went to go see him last year, Samantha Fish opening up. I was like, oh, who is this? And then I started to dive in and then I get to see her live. And when I say, you know, I talk about the evolution of the blues when it was just sort of an acoustic grainy recording thing. And then it evolved into rhythm and blues and blues and soul and funk and standards and jazz. And now it has evolved into like this rocking, you know, kick you in the teeth you know, again, it's blues. It's a sound. It's a style. It's a feel. Uh, 
but when you listen to Samantha Fish, like you kind of feel like she could, you know, if you pissed her off, she'd just come right through your your earbuds and punch you right in the head. It's it's amazing. She is a fantastic guitarist, an amazing vocalist. She's got some great great albums out there and the one that i picked for this is called kill or be kind and yeah i mean the opening track which is called bulletproof is man it's just a a blistering song it opens the album and you're like what it's the kind of song that when it's over you feel tired from listening to it it's just it sucks you in the guitar tones. Uh, the vocals are, yeah, they're just absolutely killer. Uh, Love Letters is a great song. This uh, She Don't Live Around Here No More. The whole album is you know, front to back amazing. Her follow-up to this was an album called Faster that came out last year, which every blues publication that you know, I come across, you see them listed on like your Instagram feed and your Facebook feed. They all listed that as one of the top, not only female blues albums of the year, but top blues albums of the year across the board. She is that good. And I see postings for her all the time. She's playing with, you know, you know, Derek Trucks band. She's playing with Kenny Wayne Shepherd. She's playing with Buddy Guy. She's playing with all these blues greats. Um, if you're a music fan and you haven't done a, a deep dive into Samantha Fish, you absolutely need to. And Kill or Be Kind is the album that I just love to listen to. Maybe this is more of a, I had a great day and I'm going to go sit on the porch and kind of revel in this at the end of the day because it's that upbeat. You know, it's got some bluesy themes to it. Uh, but man, this is one of those uh, good man feeling feeling like he wants to do something bad kind of albums and the whiskey that I'm going to pair for this. And I, I noticed when I was doing this pairing of like, you know, the whiskeys that we picked for the guys were, you know, a little bit lower price points. Uh, and the ones that I picked for the ladies, uh, uncle nearest up around 50 bucks. Uh, the widow Jane is up around that $50. This one here is now going for about 47. So everyday whiskeys, a little bit higher proof point, but why? You know what? Because the ladies are worth it and they're putting in the work and yeah, it's just more elegance, more style, more deserving. We're spending a little bit more money just the way it is. And the whiskey that I have picked to drink while listening to my Samantha fish album is Michter's bourbon. It's man. The Michter's lineup is great front to back. The Sour Mash, I love the rye. It's it's kind of a, a sleeper. I feel like people don't really talk about the Michter's rye in that US one line much, but it really is. It's a it's a killer rye and it's a single barrel. Like, you know, I think that also gets overlooked that it's a single barrel rye. But I went with the bourbon because, you know, the American and the Sour Mash are great. I love them. They are a little bit lower in proof point. And, you know, Michter's is very secretive about a lot of things. So you don't really understand or, or or they don't give you a lot of details on where the whiskey comes from. So I think some of it is sourced, you know, what it's blended with, the, the types of barrels they use, the, the barrel entry. Per- so there's a lot of kind of mystery behind it. Maybe that's intentional. Um, Michter's is an incredibly historic brand too. I, you know, they claim to go back to the civil war, but if you, you read the book of like the greatest whiskey, you'll never taste, which is a fantastic sort of short read about whiskey, uh, in that Michter's distillery. It's uh, again, bourbon is built on stories. Some of which are even true. Yes. Michter's can trace their lineage back somehow to, you know, revolutionary war kind of era, but, the fact is, is it doesn't really become Michter's, you know, much like a lot of brands of whiskey. Uh, somebody decided to get into the whiskey game in the last 10, 15 years, realized that there was a heritage name out there that was sort of unclaimed and they bought the name. Um, the only actual connection they have to like 
pre-revolutionary war or revolutionary war, however it is that they sell that, that sort of historical element is they own the name. Michter's, by the way, uh, during its sort of lineage, and it's a fascinating, fascinating lineage that starts in uh, Pennsylvania. But at one time, one of the owners had two sons uh, named Michael and Peter. And so he combined the two names, and that's how you get Michter's. You know, it's the first four letters of Michael and the last three letters of Peter. That's the story behind the name. Man, this bourbon is killer. All right, let's go in. Mm. Oaky. It's like a nice sort of almost drying effect. Sometimes bourbon can get too sweet. And there's a nice like hint of wood tannin there. And just a, there's always a richness to to the Michter's releases to me. Um, the the bomb burgers that I, I had last year, I've done a review on that somewhere here on one of the podcast episodes. Uh, fantastic. Michter's 10, you know, and I know it's a different release every year, but the, the few different years that I've gotten to try that is one of my all-time favorite bourbon bottles that I've ever drank. And the one thing I say about Mictus is the richness of that bourbon. You know, the toasted barrel, the the barrel proof, the 10-year, the regular bourbon. There's just a richness to it. And that richness is because of Andrea Wilson, who's not only the executive vice president of Mictus, but she is what they call the master of maturation at Mictus. So she is responsible for... Um, all the whiskey making operations, uh, barrel specifications, depending on whether they're doing toasted or, you know, their proprietary barrel sort of preparations, um, warehouse heat, barrel selections for different products. And all the innovation at Michter's goes through Andrea Wilson um, and, and kudos again. So, yeah, there it is. Four great blues albums four great bottles of whiskey um we didn't stick to strictly bourbon on this one because yeah much like the blues that kind of goes off into offshoots of rhythm and blues and funk and soul and jazz and whatever uh bourbon as we know it really again doesn't become an official classification in 1964 before that it was just whiskey and you know bourbon has its offshoots in rye and Tennessee whiskey and American whiskey. So, you know, we let it rip a little bit on this episode, but we've still got four great bottles of American made whiskey that have a strong female influence over the final product, whether it's ownership, whether it's master of blending, um, whether it's distilling, whatever it is. Um, yeah. Just kind of showing some love there to, to both sides of the table. Whew. My hope is that this inspires you guys to go out and and listen to the blues. It's just, it's such a great style of music. And it's, you know, unfortunately in today's sort of pop culture, everything goes bigger, better, faster, shinier, whatever. Blues just like bourbon. There's something about it that's comforting, that feels like home, that connects us to our heritage and our roots of really who we are um, as humans. And there's no, no competition. Just enjoy it. Relax. You know, if you had a good day or you had a bad day, it works either way. Um, so yeah, I'll wrap it as always. And I know I say this repetitively, but thank you guys so much for for being there for i don't know being on this journey with me uh sticking around while i indulge these these passions of mine and i explore them uh in the feedback you know you guys stopping by the store or sending me messages and telling me you like what we're doing it's really is what inspires me to kind of keep going with this now next week part three of my you know bourbon and the blues 
series, my drink to music two series. It's going to be four live albums. This is going to be different. This is not coming home after a good day of work or coming after a bad day of work. This is four live albums that you can put together in a playlist, hit random, and just have some friends over, have a great time, pop a bunch of bottles, and just go and and let that sort of live blues music go through you. I've got a couple of them. You know, we did the guys last week. We did the ladies this week. Next week, it's going to be a hodgepodge of everything. Just sort of four great live blues albums, all modern. Um, so a little bit more rocking, but definitely music that will set the tone for a great kind of party sitting out around the fire pit, drinking some, some great bottles of bourbon. So hopefully you guys come back and tune in for that. Uh, as always, if you like what we're doing, go to the podcast page, hit follow, give it a five-star rating and, uh, follow on Instagram and Facebook. And for everything else, you can email me at the spirit guide 89 at gmail.com. Thank you guys again. I'm humbled that you are out there listening and appreciating what I'm doing. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Yay!